Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. So turn with me to Psalm chapter 104. Let me read it and then we'll pray. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll pray and get rolling. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters and he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind and he makes his messengers winds and his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. (coughs) You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this world. And I pray, God, that we would, through Psalm 104, see with more clarity your glory in creation and be moved to praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
There are a few important ways that God has revealed himself to humanity. Okay, so people want to know, how can we know that there's a God? We're really dependent upon God. The only thing we can know about God is what God has chosen to reveal to us about himself. And there are a few important ways that God has revealed himself to humanity. Um, obviously, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we see Jesus, the scripture says, is the express image of the Father. So we want to know what God the Father is like as we look at Jesus. We look at his life, his his perfect sinless life, his, his death, burial, resurrection, um, we see things about God. God has revealed himself in and through Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us also in the scriptures. So I want to know what the will of God is. I want to know what God's character is like. I want to know what about God's way. Uh, I, I read the scriptures because this, we believe, is God's self-revelation. It's not just man's thoughts about God. It's God literally speaking through men by the Holy Spirit to reveal something to humanity about himself, about what he's like and who he is and what his will is. So God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself to us in the word of God and the scriptures. But perhaps the, the first and maybe most pervasive way that God has revealed himself to all people is through the natural world. It's through nature, it's through creation. And why do I say that? It's probably perhaps the most pervasive way that God has revealed himself to us. I say that for a couple reasons. One, um, because not all people have access to the scriptures. Not all people everywhere, we pray that this would change. We pray that translations would be made in every single language and access would be given to, to people. We don't realize how blessed we are I was just looking this morning through like my bookshelf full of different types of Bibles and realizing and thinking about how there are Christians in other parts of the world who have heard the gospel, but they don't have the scriptures in their own language. I remember seeing a video of Chinese believers who have to meet in secret and are persecuted and they got a, a shipment of Bibles and literally this box opens up and they grab them and they're holding them to their chest and they're kissing the Bibles and they're and they're not worshiping the Bible, but they understand that this is the word of God and they have never had it in their language. At least they've never had their own copies. And so not all people have access to the scriptures and not everyone has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But all people are subject to creation. That's why I say that creation, the natural world, is probably the most pervasive way that God reveals himself or has revealed himself and continues to reveal himself to all people. Everybody everywhere experiences the wind and the rain and oceans and mountains and valleys and streams and sun and moon, stars, planets, animals of all kinds, sea and land and sky. And scripture tells us that creation itself is telling us about God. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the heavens are declaring something to us and proclaiming something to us. It says the glory of God and his handiwork. So this means that all people everywhere should instinctively know something about the creator because of creation. You tracking with that? And scripture actually says that we're not going to be able to plead ignorance 
about God's existence on that final day because he has revealed himself to us through the natural world, through creation, that we should instinctively know about him. And we do actually, scripture says, instinctively know about him. Turn with me real quick. It's a little bit, uh, it's a few verses here, but it's important. I want to set this tone. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let's kind of jump out of Psalm 104 for a second because it's all it's just setting a foundation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Look at what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, what truth is it talking about? Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely and specifically his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Underline that phrase, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world so that they are without excuse. It says, his, let me read verse 20 again. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How have they been perceived? In the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things or the creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So that's huge. I know that's... Um, a lot. Uh, but here's what it's saying. It's saying what can be known about God, even his invisible attributes. We go, how can we know anything about God if we can't see him? The scripture says what can be known about God, even his invisible attributes, specifically the fact that he's eternal, that he's divine, that, that, that he um, has power. It says he's, his eternal power, his divine nature, those have been shown to us. How? It says they've been shown to us, they've been made plain to us through creation, through the things that he has made. So I always like to put it this way. I look at the Mona Lisa, I see design, I see, I see wisdom, I see creativity, I see structure, and I go, hmm. I look at a painting and I instinctively know that there was a painter. I don't think that was an accident. Right? I look at a building. Let's look at this building. I don't look at this building and think, hmm, I wonder how this got here. Here, I know one day there was a really intense tornado that blew through a junkyard and it picked up all kinds of wood and bricks and other materials. I'm not handy, so I don't know what else this plane might be built up. Okay? <laughs> other stuff. And it just picked it all up and it swirled it around and then it landed when the storm stopped. Right? And it landed in this structure that we now enjoy as a building. No, I don't do that. I look at a building, and I instinctively know that there was a builder. Someone designed this. Someone made this. Someone created this. So if I look at a painting and instinctively know that there's a painter, I look at a building and instinctively know that there is a builder, Scripture says we look at creation and we instinctively know that there is a creator. 
We instinctively look at the design of creation. We look at the intricacy. Far more detailed and intricate and ordered than a painting or a building is all of creation. And things we didn't even know had impact on each other. The way the moon has impact on the tides. Down to the most cellular level and out to the cosmos. The order and the structure of creation. We look at it and we instinctively know. Down to something simple. You look at a flower. And you go, that, I can't make that. (laughs) And look at creation. It says, all people look at creation and instinctively know that there is a creator. Now, what do we do with that? We may, as Romans says, we may suppress that truth. It says we suppress the truth. Why? In unrighteousness. Because we don't want there to be a creator because then we're accountable to him. So we suppress that truth in our unrighteousness. Or we then exchange the truth for a lie that suits our faith. Oh, I don't believe that. I believe this. So we can suppress that truth and exchange it for a lie. We can do all that we want. But ultimately, Romans told us that we're not going to be able to plead ignorance on that final day. Why? Because every day, creation is telling us there's a God. Every day, creation is telling us that there's a creator. And so we're not going to be able to go, God, I didn't know. You never showed yourself to me. He's like, I showed myself to you every day. George Washington Carver said this, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. So, back to Psalm 104, and I want to ask this. What does this psalm tell us about God? This psalm talks about creation, talks about the natural world, and it tells us, by looking at the natural world, tells us things about God. So what does this psalm tell us about God? This is not going to be an exhaustive list of things that it tells us about God. It's not going to be complicated. In fact, it's going to be kindergarten simple. So three things. We're going to do three things that I see in this psalm that it's telling us about God. Number one, in your notes, God is the creator of the world. God is the creator of the world. Look again at verse two, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Imagine a guy setting up a tent. It says, that's how God kind of put the heavens there. What? <laughs> like, like somebody stretching out a tent. God's going, eh, here's the sky. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 actually tells us that the heavens are the work of his fingers. Verse 5, he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Verse 8, the mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. It was really cool. I was hiking earlier this week and I got to a little opening where I was literally looking out over mountain peaks that dipped into a valley. I think I took a picture and um, shared that, but it was really cool because I was there and looking at that amazing scene all by myself, just in the quiet with God, just listening to kind of nature and what's going on, looking at these mountain peaks down in the valleys, and I read Psalm 104. It was cool to be right there 
reading this verse, the mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. Verse 20, you, God, make darkness and it is night. Verse 24, how manifold, how varied, how many are your works, your works, they're his works. In wisdom, you have made them all. Verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Creation is his work. He's done it. The scriptures make very, very clear that the natural world we see all around us is the result of an intentional act of creation on God's part. Now, whatever processes he may or may not have used to do that, we'll talk and debate that some other time, but God has done it. That's what this psalm makes very clear. However he did it, God did it. He thought it up, he formed it, he planted it, he shaped it, he molded it. He is the creator of this world. Everything in creation, every galaxy, every star, planet, mountain, valley, prairie, stream, ocean, desert, animal, and person exists by the will of the creator, God. Creation is not accidental or random. Now, I hope you know what that means if we're going to draw it in and make it very, very personal. That means that you are not an accident. So, the subversive teaching of abandoning a creator is that we're all just random animated chunks of matter. But the scriptures say, no, no, no. You exist because God wanted to create you, and he did. You're not an accident. There are no accidental people. Everything, including us, was created for God's pleasure and God's glory. Now think about the value that this gives to everything. Think about the value that this gives to everything in creation. Why do we care for the earth? Why do we cultivate it and tend it and care about litter and care about the environment? Why do we care for the earth? Because it's God's special creation. It's God's, God made it. It says he placed man there to tend and to keep it. And so we care for this earth, this world that God made because our God made it. So I don't trash it. Why care for the animal kingdom? Why care for creatures? Why is it bad to hate cats? <laughs> 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 it's like his grandma points her finger at me. Like, ah, they are demons. Maybe they are demons in disguise. I don't know. Why? You know, one of the things I love, Nina is a, a lady who lives near us here, and she comes over all the time. And One of the things I absolutely love about Nina is she's got a really special heart for animals. You know, but Nina would just, she'd just have every animal, and she'd just care for it just because she feels, and she says it. This is what she says. Just because God made them, like, they're, they're God's creatures. So she sees a stray that can't eat and they can't take care of itself, and she feels compelled to do something about that. 
Because God made them, because, God, because they should be cared for, right? And so why, think of the value that creation gives to everything. So it's not just, it's not just a, a earth that I can trash, it's a creation of God, and so I tend it, and I cultivate it, and I care for it, and I want to see it thrive. We care for the, the earth, and we care for the creatures of the earth because they're God's creation. Now think about the value that the doctrine of creation gives to every person. Every person. I don't know what you have been told or taught. I'm pretty sure I can tell you what you've been told or taught. But you and I and all the people on this planet are not just animated random chunks of matter fighting to exist in a harsh survival of the fittest world. Every person created in the image and likeness of God. Valuable and precious and worthy of dignity as God's special creation. So, the doctrine of creation actually leads us to value and honor the world and the creatures of the world and the people that God created. And if you find somebody who claims to be a Christian and claims to be to believe in the creator and devalues creation, they're missing a significant truth that God has made it. And because of that alone, it's worthy of dignity and value and honor. It also means this. If God is the creator, then he's creative, right? Then he's creative. We love to think, of, I know I always talk about it, but we love to think of this dry, dead, like kind of judge in the sky. You're just sitting there handing out sentences and whatever. We don't often think of God as like creative. as like uh, kind of like the mad scientist in there kind of doing his thing, the painter, you know, throw on the canvas and put on the music and go, but if God is the creator, he's creative. And that means every time you've had a moment of creativity, you're just reflecting the image of your creator. Or every time you've, you've been moved by someone else's act of creativity, what you're responding to is that awe-inspiring spark that emanates from the creator himself. Whether you recognize that or not, every time you've been moved by any kind of art or creativity in any form, you're responding to something that originates in the creator. Now, we don't create like God creates, of course. I love the, um, I love the joke, story, whatever. I don't know what it is. It's a fake little story. It's like the scientists that come to God and they go, oh, we don't need you anymore. Like we figured out how to create people. And God's like, ooh, cool, like impressive, right on. Like, do it for me. They're like, yeah, we can do just like you do. Like, we can create people out of the dirt of the ground, you know? He's like, awesome. That's fantastic. Like, show me. So they bend down to scoop up some dirt, and he goes, uh-uh, use your own dirt. <laughs> we can create stuff, but we create out of already existing materials. Right? God creates everything from nothing. God is the creator of the world. Number two, God is the caretaker of the world. God is the caretaker 
of the world. So why did I add this? Well, because the psalm really fleshes it out, but also because some people believe that there is a creator. They'll acknowledge, okay, there has to be some kind of intelligent kind of being that created all of this, uh, but that he created everything and then stepped back and left us on our own, right? Um, has no dealings or interactions with the created world. Is very impersonal and distant. Maybe he made everything, but then he's kind of off to some other project. We're kind of left to ourselves, to just kind of the law of entropy. There we go. Some people have called this like the divine clockmaker, who, who just kind of makes the clock and forms it and fashions it and sets it rolling, and then here it goes, and he's off to the next thing. He's not really engaged anymore with this, right? But the scriptures will have none of that. Psalm 104 will have none of that. The scriptures reveal a God who is intimately engaged and involved in providing for and caring for the world that he's created. Not just that he created it and then backed off, that he created it and then sustains it. He is intimately involved and engaged. Look at verses 10 through 13. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, and they flow between the hills, and they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell, and they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Picture God watering the mountains. Amen. Right? which he's done plentifully this winter. Right? Picture God watering, that's the picture here, like a gardener out, like watering the mountains. That's what this psalm just said. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. We were just talking this morning about how I was reading in a kind of a hiking article about how because of all this rain and snow and stuff that we've had, um, some of the mountain areas and even valleys here are seeing what they call a super bloom of like flowers. And some flowers that were, that were they thought, man, these are about to go extinct actually have begun to flourish. And we were just kind of joking about how, you know, God was just like, you know, no, I'm not done with you yet. Here you go, right? We need to see that the scripture bears us out over and over again. Psalm 104 brings us up over and over again that God is the one that's doing it, Right? It says here that he provides drink and shelter for the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. We just read that. That God's doing it. That God is the one that's doing it. When the stream flows, because God has watered the earth, satisfying his creatures, tending to and caring for his creation. Look at verses 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. doesn't just say, well, in the natural process of events that, you know, the grass grows, okay? This is actually somewhere rooted right at the beginning of all that is that God is actually, grass grows because God causes it to grow. That's what this scripture is saying. Not just he created it and there it goes, but it's like, you know what? I'm actually causing this to happen. So God provides for livestock. Look what it says, it goes on to say, and causes plants for man to cultivate. 
so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So God doesn't just provide grass for the livestock. He says he provides plants for us people to cultivate and bring forth food and wine and bread. We're dependent upon God for our next meal. That's why we give thanks at mealtime. We go, thank you, God, that you provided this. Because if we were just left on our own, it could dry up, but God continues to provide. And so we continue to eat. We're sustained by the hand of God. And notice he provides not just for our necessity, okay, we need to eat, but then it says things like, and wine to gladden the heart of man and bread to strengthen man's heart. He provides not just for our need, but for our pleasure. Verses 16 through 18. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. There goes God watering the trees again. And the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, and the stork has her home in the fir trees, and the high mountains are for the wild goats, and the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Saying God's providing. God is the one providing water for the trees, and the trees grow, and those become shelter for the birds, and he provides a home for the wild goats and the rock badgers. Like, that's weird. We're talking about ostriches and wild goats and rock badgers. He's saying every creature in all of creation God tends to and cares for. Verse 21. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. Now I was a little unnerved to read that verse as I was out on my hike alone (laughs) earlier this week. It was cool to look at the mountains and the valleys and think, oh, this is God. God did this. And then... You know, the thing that freaks me out when I'm out hiking more than anything is not necessarily the bears or the snakes, but the mountain lions. And so to be out by myself kind of solo hiking up in the wilderness and read the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. I kind of just did one of those, you know, and every twig that snaps, I hope he doesn't provide me his food for the lions. But the idea is that God, I mean, we're talking about ostriches and rock badgers and and wild goats, and now young lions. It's like, what is it saying over and over? It says, it says they seek their food from God. God is the one providing. Picture God feeding the animals. So he's watering the mountains, watering the trees, and he's feeding the animals. This is not a God who created the world and then stepped back and left it to its own devices. This is a God who created the world and then is taking care of that world, watering the mountains and feeding the animals. Creation reveals a God that is alert and active and working to sustain his creation, to care for and provide for his creation. I was sitting there again. I'm going to keep talking about this hike because it's just a cool time and it really related to the psalm. Um, I'm sitting there. And you know life comes in, you get different stresses and different things that happen and start worrying about this and that. And um, I was reminded, I'm sitting there and I'm I'm literally, it's like birds kind of flitting about in the trees and squirrels doing their thing. And um, and there's some of these flowers that are starting to bloom, these wildflowers that are out there. And it's just, it was beautiful, you know. 
And I was reminded in my kind of moment of, okay, I need to get away from everything. I need to take a breath and I need to get out on a hike and I'm sitting there and I'm watching these birds and these squirrels and the flowers. And I was just reminded of Matthew chapter six. I wasn't gonna have you turn there, but turn there with me real quick. Matthew chapter six. Verses 25 through 33, it says this. Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink or about your body, what you're gonna put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then Jesus says this, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious and stressed out, can add a single hour of, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies. Look at, he's saying, look at the wild, look at these lilies. And I want you to, like, meditate on this. I want you to consider this. I want you to ponder this. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and and yet they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, can you look at the birds? Okay, I know you're stressed out and all, all this stuff, but can you take a second, pause, press pause and look at the birds. I feed them. Don't you think I'm gonna feed you? Look at the flowers. You see how beautifully dressed they are? I'm the one that dressed them. I'm the one that made them that beautiful and clothed them in all this splendor. Don't you think I'm going to take care of your needs? If I, if I bend down to care for the smallest bird and the littlest lily, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? Stop stressing out. I got you. That's what he's saying. And that's a lesson that we learn by looking at birds and flowers, yes. right? By getting out and looking at some birds and some flowers and paying attention <laughs> to the created world because it's going to teach us some things. Oh, I see. God takes care of them. Look at those flowers. God will take care of me. He must water this whole mountain. He feeds all these animals. It's amazing. What you need to know is that God created you and he will take care of you. Isaiah chapter 46, verse four. I love this verse because as I was preparing this, this verse just popped into my head. God created you and he will take care of you. Isaiah 46, verse four. Even, this is God speaking. Even to your old age, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. He's saying, I created you, I'll take care of you. 
I didn't create you to leave you high and dry. I, I created you and I'll take care of you. So God is the creator and the caretaker of the world. And just in case there's any doubt about his ability to do that in your life, you need to know point three this morning, and that is this. God is great and powerful. I told you this was gonna be kindergarten simple, but you need to know this because, okay, the scripture promises that God created this world and that God will take care of me. God, God created me and God will care for me just like he does the flowers and the birds and the mountains and the trees and the rock badgers and the young lions. He'll, he'll take care. He created them and he takes care of them. He created me, he'll take care of me. But how can I know that he's powerful enough to do that? Thankfully, that's what this psalm is all about. God is great and powerful. Verse one, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. This is language that was reserved for royalty. You didn't call someone great and clothed with splendor and majesty unless they were royalty. I said, God, you remember what we learned last week? Jesus Christ is the king over all. This is you are great, clothed with splendor and majesty. Verse three, listen to, look at the power of God in these verses. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Now this is kind of a funny image, but have you ever looked at the clouds? You ever been just out on like, you know, on a nice sunny day and looked up at the clouds and imagined God riding them like a chariot. That's what this verse is doing. It's just picturing God like riding the clouds like they're his chariot, right? Have you ever felt the strength of the wind and imagine it was like the flap of wings and God was like riding on that? And that's what this verse is doing. What is, what's the point that it's making? The image here is of a God that is all-powerful and sovereign over his creation. God is not subject to creation. God is in control. He's driving the chariot. He's riding on the wings of the wind. He's the one that created it. It serves him. Verses five through nine says this. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. Now in these verses, I want you to picture Commentators were divided on this. Scholars were divided on this. Is this talking about the moment of creation when waters covered the earth? Or is this talking about the great flood when waters covered the earth? And either image really works and both really apply. Maybe it's talking about both. So picture that, okay? The waters covering the mountains. He set the earth on its foundations, verse five, so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But look, look at this in verse seven. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight, and the mountains rose, and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. So God sets the foundations of the earth. He covered the earth with water, and then he, re look at this. I want you to see the power involved here, because I can't do this. I don't know if you can, but I can. He rebukes the water, speaks to it, and it obeys him, and retreats back to the place that he tells it to be. You see the power of God in that. We're meant to. 
says, he raised up the mountains and set the valleys in their place. He sets a boundary for the waters of the earth. Job chapter 38. If you're taking notes, write these down. Job chapter 38, verse 11. Job 38, verse 11. And Proverbs chapter 8, verse 29. They tell us that God is the one who tells the oceans how far their proud waves can go, and they can go no further. He looks at the ocean and he says, you know what, I'm going to let you go this far, but you can't go any further than that. Verse 31, I love this verse. There's a beautiful picture in this verse. It says this, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. That is the glory of God in creation. May it endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Picture God rejoicing in his creation. We need to know that God delights in the things and people that he's created. God finds pleasure in his creation. So God is rejoicing in his work, just like a painter would step back and admire his own masterpiece. Or maybe a, a musician that finishes their album that they would know this is it. Any artist or creative who would say, this was my magnum opus. This was it. Admiring their creation. Wow, what a spark. This is God rejoicing in his works. The book of Genesis tells us that he looked at his creation and saw that it was good. He creates and he steps back and he goes, oh, that's good. That's good. Verse 32. Now look at the power of God. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Creation reveals to us the greatness of God, the power of God, the glory of God. And so listen, what does this mean? So the vastness of creation should resize us, shouldn't it? Because we sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, we all do it, I think, because we, you know, I'm in every part of my story, right? Like I, I'm there, I'm, I'm in every scene. Right? So we tend to think life is a story about me. Right? I heard a, another teacher says, like, life is about me. After all, I'm in every scene, and other people come and go in that scene. But it's all, you know, I go through my day, and I'm always there. Right? And so we start to get, even inadvertently, this sense of self-importance. Like, man, I'm, you know. And the vastness of creation does something to resize us, doesn't it? It should give us a proper sense of his majesty and our smallness in relation. It should kill all kind of sense of grandiosity and self-importance that we have in ourselves. I was watching, uh, again, uh, this documentary about kind of the history of rock climbing in Yosemite, right? And they'd climb Half Dome and they'd climb El Capitan and crazy rock climbers, like crazy people. They'd do it with harnesses at first and then they got into free climbing one of the free climbers, one of the prominent kind of free climbers now, he made a comment. It wasn't about God, but he's, you know, he's climbing these rock faces that are like three times the height of the Empire State Building without any harnesses. Just with his fingers and little cracks, right? And he's getting, and he's like, you get up on that mountain, he says, and then all of a sudden you realize like how small you are. And you look out on the valley, which is just one valley on an earth filled with 
canyons and rivers and mountains and valleys and all kinds of things. You're on this, and you just zoom out, and you're this little speck in this creation. And you realize, like, I'm small. I'm small. When you feel the crash of a wave against you, you should understand something about the power of God who tells those waves where to stop. That should hit you and you should go, whoa, God is strong. Because God is stronger than this. The pull of the ocean, God's stronger than that. When I stand staring up at the summit of a majestic mountain, I should be filled with wonder and awe at the greatness of the creator. My breath should be taken away. I should go, God, you're amazing. I had a friend who visited the Grand Canyon I used to tease about, uh, you know, I've I don't want to go to the Grand Canyon. I said, yeah, I want to go see a big hole in the ground. That's what I want to see, right? And he's like, no, you don't understand. You only say that because you've never been there. He says, you go and you look out and you just go, there's a God. There's a God. That's massive. That's brilliant. It's breathtaking and it resizes you really quick. When I see the brilliance of the universe and realize that I'm seeing a fraction of the stars that may exist and they're how far away? How big? How hot and bright? This is what David did in Psalm 8. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you even are mindful of him? It resizes us. So the greatness of God that we see in creation should resize us, but it should also encourage us. Why should the fact that God is great and powerful and sovereign over all of this creation, that if there's a, a mountain is, is big, God is bigger. If the ocean is strong, God is stronger. If the stars are beautiful, God is more beautiful, more vast, more amazing. Why should that encourage me? So it resizes me, but it should encourage me. Why? Because that means that you serve the God who puts mountains and valleys and oceans in their place. Do you think he can't handle what's going on in your life? There is nothing our God can't do. You serve the God who puts mountains and valleys and oceans in their place, who finger-painted the stars, who spoke universe into existence. And as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, he looks at you and he says, and you're mine, you're mine. And now all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord called according to his purpose. That's a promise coming from the God who breathed out creation. So when you hear that God is the creator of the world and you understand that, you understand that he's the caretaker of the world, and then you realize that he has the power to back that up. If we lived in that reality, all stress should just fall off of us. The reality is we don't live in that reality all the time. We don't let ourselves be aware of that all the time. And that's why it's good to get out. It's good to get out and it's good to see a mountain and it's good to feel the ocean 
It's good to look at some flowers and remember. He created you and he will take care of you because he's great and powerful enough to do that. So how does the psalmist respond to the glory of God that he sees in creation? As he looks out and sees the earth that God created and the earth that God cares for, his heart is moved to worship. So his encounter with creation moved him to worship the creator. Verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Sorry, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. He's talking to himself. You see that? Who's he talking to? Oh, my soul. He's talking to his own soul. Listen, soul. Bless the Lord. I see creation. Oh, what a, he's talking to himself. Sometimes we got to talk to ourselves. We got to say, you know what? I need to get out of this funk. I need to get out of this stress. I need to whatever. Talk to your own soul. Bless the Lord, my soul. Because he's the God that did all of this. I need to remember that. Soul, you need to remember that you serve the creator and caretaker of the world. Bless the Lord. Look at verses 33 through 35. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. This is the psalmist's response to the glory of God in creation. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. So he says, oh, in response to the glory of God in creation, I'm going to bless God. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to meditate on things that are pleasing to him. I'm going to rejoice in him. That means take joy in him and in his creation. Rejoice in him. I'm going to bless him and I'm going to praise him. Our instinctive response when we experience the beauty and wonder and power and wisdom of creation should be to praise the creator. Every encounter with creation is an opportunity to praise the God who made it and sustains it. So let me close with one more quote from George Washington Carver. He says this, Reading about nature is fine. But if a person walks in the woods and listens carefully, he can learn more than what is in books, for they will speak with the voice of God. Creation is telling you something. It's telling you that there is an all-powerful creator and caretaker who deserves your praise. And so, I got homework for you. I encourage you to take time this week to just get out of nature. Just get out in nature somewhere. Take a walk. Go to the beach. Get out in the desert. Head up to the mountains. Go to the valley somewhere. And when you do that, slow down. Let all the other stuff fade away. Slow down and take a deep breath. Sit on a rock. Listen to the stream. Feel the breeze. And praise the great and powerful creator and caretaker of it all.
Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the beauty and wonder of this created world. There's an old hymn that says, in rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Lord, may we hear your voice everywhere. And let us not make the awful mistake of worshiping the creation, but of being moved and stirred by your creation to praise the creator. In Christ Jesus' name.